Uh, well, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 again today. We've spent the last few weeks talking about suffering and the perspective that we as followers of Jesus should have regarding our suffering and the suffering of others who we're walking through this life with, maybe even in the cases of discipleship. And so suffering comes in a lot of different ways, right? It comes as sickness. Suffering can come as grief. It can come as relational struggles uh, that we're working through. Uh, it can come through poverty, lack of finances, lack of food, all sorts of things that can come. Hard days at work, hard weeks at work, dealing with difficult people at work. All sorts of things can happen. Some of you have had those experiences this week. It's been a difficult week in the office. It's been a difficult week in the home. It's been a difficult week dealing with family or their sickness. Uh, in our church, we've been praying fervently all week for many of these different things. We've had car accidents this week. We've had uh, one of our, our police officers just in, in critical kinds of situations and dealing with things. And we've been praying for these situations of suffering that we deal with. Now, our natural instinct when it comes to suffering or pain or affliction is to run as far and as fast away from it as we can, right? We want to we wanna pull the eject lever and uh, get out of the plane uh, before anything bad can happen. But Paul, he's different, isn't he? He's a different kind of cat. He, he, there, there, I wouldn't say that he enjoys suffering, but he does embrace it, doesn't he? He, he does uh, accept it into his life. He does invite it into his life. And that's the point that we made even last week. Paul addressing uh, in, in Corinth here, uh, these verses 13 through 18, it's what he's dealing with. We talked about how even those times when he was there and the riots happening in Jerusalem, and uh, he, he, they, they pull him aside and they say, Paul, you got to get out of here. And he says, hey, do you mind if I say a few words to the crowd? You know, he puts himself in these crazy situations. And, and if there's any doubt about Paul's embracing and his perspective regarding suffering, think about Philippians 3 where he says this, that I may know Christ. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And then what does he say? The fellowship of his sufferings. Paul wants to fellowship. He wants to be a partaker of the sufferings of Jesus in his own life. And so today my goal is to share with you the perspectives that shape Paul and the perspectives that should shape us as we follow Christ and as we lead others in following Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 13. We're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, we're going to pick up where we started last week. I want to remind you of a few of these things. Since, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, you'll notice that's in, in quotation marks. It's a quote from Psalm 116. Paul says, we also believe, and so we also speak. So Paul says, I have a, a like mind, a kindred spirit with David who wrote those words many, many years ago. In his time of suffering, he continued to believe his belief in God led him to speak about God. And Paul says, that's me. I believe I have a faith in God and I will continue to speak about him no matter what dangers lie in front of me. Well, what does he particularly believe about God? Notice what he writes in verse 14. Knowing, knowing what? That he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. And he'll bring us with you into his presence. Paul's hope, his belief, what does he know? 
He knows the resurrection is coming. He knows the promise. I was, I was just overwhelmed by how many references in our singing today was in relation to the resurrection and our death and the life that comes after that. Paul knows the resurrection is assuredly coming. And notice what he writes then in verse 15. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul has observed the gospel at work. These are the perspectives he has. This is what keeps him going. He sees that it's affecting people. The church at Corinth started with a handful and now it's a large group of people that are gathering together across the city. And now we pick up with our text today, verse number 16. Because of this, or so, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, they are eternal. Father, we now ask once again, one more time, for your gracious blessing on your word. You promise that as it is sent out, it accomplishes what you intend for it to accomplish. And Lord, that's something I can't do. That's something we can't conjure. That's what your spirit has to do now. And we plead that your spirit would work in our hearts. Change our way of thinking. Give us godly perspectives today as we think about suffering in this world and we pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. So Paul begins and says we do not lose heart in this work of discipleship based upon what he's, what he's previously talked about and what he's observed and based upon what he is going to share with us today, his perspectives regarding eternity. In verse 16 we see that Paul was focused on what? Inner man. His focus is on the inner man. He is not naive about the state of the physical body. Remember, he's already referenced it. We hold treasure, the treasure of the knowledge of Jesus, where? In jars of clay, in fragile things. He says our outer self here is wasting away. We are in the process, all of us, of dying. For those of you in older age, I would encourage you maybe to go and read Ecclesiastes 12 I'm not saying that will be a comfort to you, but I'm saying it describes well uh, what happens in those older stages of life and how we begin to lose our hearing and we begin to our, lose our ability to chew and all sorts of things begin to go wrong in the human body. But he focus is here and, and he calls us to focus on what matters more than the outer man, the inner man. If the outer man is our body, the inner man refers to our soul. And Paul states that as our outer man deteriorates, our inner man is being renewed. We're a work in progress, day by day. To renew means to make something new again, to make something useful again, presentable again. See, God's salvation is at work in us. And it's an incredible promise that he gives us. Salvation comes, and I'll lay it out in three parts. You could probably add more parts to the idea of salvation or our deliverance, uh, but, but mainly it boils down to these three. Justification. 
And justification means this, that we are declared to be righteous. This happens when we put our faith in Jesus, when we put our faith in Jesus, when we put our trust in Jesus, his righteousness is given to us. We are declared to be righteous. He takes our sin upon himself. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing, and that is what we know as the the moment of our salvation when we have put our faith in Jesus and been declared to be righteous. But as you know and I know, when we go about our days, we don't always live very righteously. And that's this second aspect of salvation called sanctification. Uh, A lot of times we'll refer to it as progressive sanctification uh, because we're making progress and that's what Paul is dealing with here. But sanctification is being made righteous. We're becoming more like Jesus day by day. And the final aspect of salvation is glorification. And this won't happen until we do rid ourselves of these frail bodies and they are restored and glorified after the resurrection and then soul and body together we will be in a glorified state and our salvation will be complete. Now in saying that, I'm not saying that you can lose your salvation somewhere along the way. Even in the next couple weeks we'll talk about how the Spirit has been given to us as a guarantee upon our justification that the work he started, he will finish it. But as we're looking at this particular passage, Paul's focus is on sanctification. He's saying day by day, we're being renewed to be more like Jesus in the the way we act, in the way we speak, in the way that we live our lives. This is the focus of discipleship, isn't it? When you think of the Great Commission where he says, I want you to make disciples of the nations. You gotta go make disciples, baptize them. And then what does he say? Teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. Teach them to observe the things that I've commanded you. This is discipleship. And outward suffering, suffering that affects the outer man, has an inner man effect, doesn't it? Outward suffering builds inner strength. This is what Paul's been leading to. This is what he's been talking to us about and teaching us in the previous sections. Outward suffering does what? It humbles us nearly every time. I'm humbled in those seasons of suffering. It it drives us to prayer. It drives us to the word of God. It drives us to Jesus. It it drives us to the church body. And, And in our weakness in that moment, what do we experience? His strength. I can't do this. I need you to work. It's what Paul is referenced in in chapter 12. We'll eventually get there. We've talked about it already where he's talking about the thorn in the flesh and he says, God, get rid of the thorn in the flesh. Get rid of the thorn in the flesh. Get rid of the thorn in the flesh. He asks three times. And what's the response? No, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you because in your weakness, my strength is known. Outer, Outer suffering builds inner strength. Perspective matters as we think about these things. Now before we move on, let me make one point here. Uh, Some of us spend a lot of time, money, resources focusing on the outer man. You know, spend a lot of time at the the gym, spend a lot of time on anti-aging things that are trying to keep us young and alive. And I'm not saying any of that's wrong. Uh, Being healthy is an important thing. I'm obviously not the poster child for that to stand up here and tell you. But Paul's point is this. Make sure that you give your greatest time and attention to renewing the inner man. 
train yourself for godliness, he writes to Timothy. Bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way, he says to Timothy. Focus on the inner man. Our perspective matters here. Next, Paul says that his focus is on eternal glory. Notice what he says in the next verse. For this, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Notice the contrast that Paul provides in this verse. First, he describes his and our present suffering as light and momentary. And you may be tempted to say, how dare you, Paul? How dare you presume that my suffering is light? This is hard. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've been through. But then we remember, well, this is Paul. <laughs> right? We've already kind of walked through the last couple of weeks some of the, the ways in which he suffered and the things that he's experienced. We'll walk through those in the weeks to come as well. And we understand that he knows what pain is. He knows what suffering is. He knows what affliction is in a way that most of us will never even begin to match. We'll never get there. So where does he get off then describing suffering as light and momentary? Remember his contrast here. He's setting this up for us. Present suffering versus future glory. Present suffering that he says is light and momentary versus future glory that he says is eternal and weighty, massive in weight. The glory we will experience in the presence of God is eternal like forever eternal even if we're born in this world into suffering and we live all 90 years of our life if we even live that long in suffering it's still light and momentary compared to the glory that we will experience in eternity Paul is arguing that, that in the end, on the other side of the, the present suffering, we'll see that the pain, the sleepless nights, the humiliation, and everything that can come to us in this world will have been worth it. I love what Jesus says in John 16. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, and the world will rejoice. They'll rejoice at your weeping and lamentation. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. And so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Ladies, isn't that a powerful illustration? I've been in the room four times. The pain, intense, doesn't seem like it will maybe ever end. But when you hold that baby, there's a joy that overwhelms you. And all that pain is forgotten in the moment. Friends, where are you in the pains of childbirth right now? 
wear you in the depths of suffering and you think, man, there is no end in sight. Listen to what Jesus says to us here in John 16. Listen to what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians. Where are you experiencing temporary and light affliction? Our perspective on this matters a great deal, doesn't it? To express the glory or the joy that we'll experience that he says is weighty. Paul, he uses this phrase. I'm going to give you the Greek phrase and some of you are going to get immediately why. Here's the Greek phrase. Hyperbole, ice, hyperbole. So Paul says that this Greek word hyperbole means to exceed or to have excess. We, we use that word hyperbole in the English as a figure of speech to describe, describe something exaggerated. But what Paul does here, he doubles down and he says, we have excess that comes out of excess. In other words, there's no bounds to this. There's no measurement to the glory that we will experience. There's no limit. The glory is unknowable. Paul described it this way in 1 Corinthians, quoting from Isaiah. What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And I think of Jesus' words even there. I, I go to prepare a place for you. And I think there's a tendency for us, we can get caught up in, oh, he's going to prepare a mansion. No, what does he say after that? Know that where I am, there you may be also. The glory of the presence of God. Today, you might be in the bottom of the J. We're going back to our J curve. You're suffering and it's leading to a death. But there is a glorious and joyful resurrection that's coming that you nor I can even begin to comprehend. Our perspective on these things matters. Finally, Paul focuses his attention on what is unseen. Faith looks beyond what we can see to what we cannot see. He says here in the final verse, for what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. Paul didn't waste much time or energy on the temporary visible things of this world, did he? Not, not from what we see. Not from any of the experiences we, we gather from him. Following the teaching of Jesus meant that he wasn't interested in laying up treasures for himself on this world where the moth and the rust would corrupt and the thieves would break through and steal. He would say to, to us even today, it's temporary. It's all transient. It's just here for a moment. And it's gone. Accolades and honor. Paul would say temporary and, and even dangerous. Dangerous to pursue those things. Here's what he said himself of himself in Philippians 3. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, whatever accolades, whatever honor, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
Let me read on here. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I counted them as, as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death. Paul says, I want to follow Jesus all the way to death so that I can experience the glory of resurrection. Rather than focusing on the temporary allurements of this ticking time bomb of a world, we should focus our attention on the unseen eternal matters. What are those unseen eternal matters? Souls. Yours and others. That's it. Those are the eternal matters. I'm a bit of a sci-fi nerd. I like Star Trek, if that tells you anything about me. There's a movie that came out several years ago called Interstellar. And it walks through all this crazy stuff. Some of you are familiar with it. It has an incredible score to it by Hans Zimmer. I love it. But there's a particular scene in the movie where they make their way through the wormhole to the first planet they're coming to, the planet they call Miller. And they realize because of the relativity of time, they're in another place and another location that every, every minute they spend on that planet will be a year that passes on the earth. And so their time there must be quick. They have to go and they have to find this person and get out of there. And as soon as they, they get on the planet, all of a sudden you hear a tick. And a song begins. And it's called Tick Tock. And while they're on the planet, this tick continues and, and things begin to go wrong and there's all sorts of orchestra that comes in and brass and, and, and you feel the movement, but all the while in the background there's a tick because there's a clock ticking. Their time is short. Their time is precious. It's true of us. John wrote, Do not love the world or the things that are of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust thereof, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. Paul strongly emphasizes for us here in this verse, to look to. He says, pay careful attention that you are looking to the things of eternity and not being distracted by so many other things. Friends, what temporary, visible things have you distracted from the invisible, eternal souls of men. As I ponder that question, it crushes me. These truths that we consider today are crucial for godly perspective and discipleship. 
we want to live a godly life, we have to understand these things. If we want to disciple others, we have to understand these things. They fly in the face of the values of the world that we live in. Paul says you got to focus on the inner man, not the outer man. You got to focus on eternal glory, not temporary suffering. You have to focus on souls, not temporary stuff. And so you, you think of these truths with me, where is your perspective off? What adjustments do you need to, to make in your life? What do you need to repent of to have the right perspective, to be a disciple maker? Do you daily focus on your inner man and the inner man of others? Do you spend time daily focusing on your own soul, your own inner man, and, and considering the inner man of others? Or does your inner man often get overlooked by all of the outer man experiences of life? I'm talking about spending time every day in God's Word, being renewed. I'm talking about time that we spend in prayer every day, your spiritual diet. talking about time with others who are encouraging you to focus on your inner man. Time with others where you can encourage them to focus on their inner man. That's what we hope to accomplish every time we come together on a given Sunday. Right? We hope to accomplish that, that there's a focus, there's a focused attention on your inner man as we come together. But as you're aware, that time is often limited. It goes quick, doesn't it? And you may get 15 minutes before, five minutes after, vice versa, to have a real conversation with somebody. That's why we're starting small groups up. Because we need more attention on the inner man. We need to give more focus to our inner man and those experiences. We need to give more focus, attention to the inner man of others and their experiences. These groups are not about getting together uh, to talk about outer man experiences like weather and work and whatever things that are going on in family and sports, all of the shoot in the breeze kinds of conversations that we can have, but they're going to focus on our hearts and inner man. And, and, and sometimes what, what happens, our inner man is interacting with our family and our work and the experiences but we're going to dive deep we're going to talk about what's going on in our hearts and our lives and so for the sake of your soul and let me add this for the sake of the souls of others in this room sign up give the time give the attention to be to be clear and transparent even if you don't sign up for whatever reason uh, we're going to assign you to a group because we need people contacting us and we need people who are asking us, how, how can I pray for you this week? What's going on in your world this week? We need that experience. We need those people. What do you need to do to focus more attention on your inner man and the inner man of others around you? What is your perspective on suffering today? Do you focus more attention on the light and momentary or the eternal and the weighty? What happens when we focus our attention on the light and momentary? What's the typical outcome there? Complaint? Grumbling? 
anxiety, depression, and the list goes on. Jealousy of others, bitterness, lack of forgiveness, anger. But what do you suppose would be the result if we focused our attention on the joy and the eternal glory? Peace, contentment, gratitude, self-control, faithfulness, love and joy. The fruit of the Spirit will be produced in us. I would encourage you this week, if you're in the suffering, memorize Jesus' words in John 16. Consider what he says there, that joy is coming after the suffering and after death comes resurrection. This is the promised pattern for each of us. We sang these words during one of the songs, though I fall, you can make me new from this death. I'll rise with you. There's a resurrection coming. There's a promise that we have. Believe it. Surround yourself with people who are going to remind you of it. Finally, what temporary things are distracting you from the eternal? What temporary things are distracting you from the eternal? Could be entertainment. Could be making a name for yourself. Sports. Participating, watching, whatever. Career advancement, money making, sexual pleasure, physical comfort, the accolades of others. The clock is ticking. And whatever is of eternal consequence is all that matters because we'll leave the temporary behind. He's a couple decades ago. Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper was published. A book that I've given away many times and in many situations. But in there, he shares the story of reading of a couple, Reader's Digest, how they had worked pretty hard the first couple decades of their marriage and they retired early. And they went to live on the beach. And as they were interviewed, they said, well, what do, you, what do you do with your time? What do you do with your life now that you have all of this freedom? And, well, we, we spend time every day picking up seashells. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with picking up seashells, but Piper's point is that's not of eternal consequence. And that as we'll see in a couple of weeks, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he imagines in the book this scene where this couple stands and says, what have you done? Here, Jesus, look at our shells. As if that's all we have to offer. And they say, well, I was all state in sports. Gave a lot of time to that and got the, got the plaque on the wall. 
I doubt most of us remember anybody in our high school who was all state in sports. Forgotten. Already. Past. I'm going to die a millionaire. Of what value is that? I spend eight hours every day watching TV. Where's the value? I was one of the best in my class at gaming or whatever else you could throw up there. Tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock. The clock is running. Let's focus on the things that are unseen rather than the things that are seen. Because the things that are seen, they're like a vapor that will vanish. But the things that are unseen, we will rejoice in and we will experience joy in for all of eternity. I ask you to bow with me this morning. not going to rehash everything. I just want to simply ask this question again. Where are your perspectives off? Where do you need to realign yourself with what is godly and biblically true so that you can follow Jesus in faithfulness and so that you can lead others to follow Jesus in faithfulness? Now is a time that we set aside for repentance and commitment and confession and rejoicing whatever you need to accomplish during this whatever the spirit is pressing upon you now is the time to pray and if you need to pray with somebody if you need to just take an opportunity to confess to somebody I'd invite you to come to make your way right over here to my right to the prayer room we'd love to have one of our women or one of our men pray with you and encourage you But let's take this opportunity to deal with the Lord and our inner man, our soul. Father, forgive us for becoming so easily captive to the the philosophical mindset of the world. Focus so much attention on the outer man, the temporary, the stuff. 
and you and our soul and the souls of others get pushed to the side, the outskirts, the outlier of life. Help us to make those corrections today. Help us to give attention to the things that attention needs to be given to. I pray that you'll help me to fight that fight this week. To stand true and obedient to commitments that I've made you. Commitments that, that I don't make because I, I want to I gain your favor, but commitments that I make because you've already given me your favor. And we leave today with the, with the prayer in our hearts, we want to know Christ. We want to experience the fellowship of his suffering so that we might partake of the resurrection as well. God, help us as we strive to follow you. Help us as we strive to help others follow you. Help us to be disciple makers and be zealous about it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I want to challenge you this week, and I think I have this in the bulletin. Create a list of things that are of eternal consequence. And, and I would encourage you, if you have family or friends that you could participate in this with, do it. If you're going you're gonna to sit down with your family sometime today or sometime this week for a meal, have this conversation. What are the things of eternal consequence? What are the things that truly matter? and engage in that, be convicted by that, be encouraged by that. I think it might have been Evangelist C.T. Studd who said, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. We must remember.